0: I'm Grace
1: and this is what we wish people knew Lily camp is a licensed clinical social worker and certified domestic violence professional with years of experience Lily has many years of experience providing Counseling, and Advocacy Services for Survivors of Domestic Violence and Their Families. She has advocated for many domestic violence survivors in family court cases related to custody, visitation, parentage, and child support. Today, she is here to talk about some of her experiences and educate others on the topic. Welcome to What I Wish People Knew about Family Court and Domestic Violence.
0: Lily, can you explain the umbrella term of domestic violence for some of our listeners who might not be as familiar with this term.
2: Sure, so domestic violence is um, basically a pattern of coercive control. Um, So the different types of domestic violence tends to be physical violence, emotional violence, verbal violence, um, controlling behavior, uh, sexual violence, economic or financial abuse, um, and neglect. Um, so that's kind of generally what, um, what domestic violence means. Um, and okay. generally it also means gender-based violence, right? It's, it's generally perpetrated, um, 85% or so is perpetrated against women. Um, so right. it does really have um, this gender violence component to it. Um, and within the context of intimate partner relationships generally as well.
0: Okay, but so for domestic violence, I think when, this is one of the things that people get confused about is that it doesn't have to be your husband or girlfriend or whatever. It kind of extends out of that sometimes, too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, in terms of um, kind of the Violence Against Women Act and, you know, the Illinois Domestic Violence Act and things like that, Um, I guess what would qualify for someone to get an order of protection or something like that is um, a domestic relationship, right? So either people who have been in a relationship together, um, people who live in the same home, um, and anyone basically who's blood-related.
0: Okay. Okay. So it's some kind of relationship and that you're kind of directly um, connected in a way.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Although most of the cases that I think a lot of domestic violence agencies see um, is intimate partner violence.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, so since you kind of talked about um, the Violence Against Women's Act and the Order of Protection, um, these are, are some of the ways that survivors or victims of domestic violence are Can you Can you explain what those are a bit?
2: Sure. So probably the most um, the most common thing for survivors um, to have access to is an order of protection. Um, in the state of Illinois, there are a lot of um, different remedies that can be involved within an order of protection. So um, kind of this idea that they can be either civil or criminal proceedings, so they can have um, criminal charges associated with them, but not always. Um, and they can be um, having no unlawful contact um, or no contact at all, and then a bunch of different um, kind of things that survivors can add to their order to make them more specific to their needs. Um, so, for example, a no unlawful contact might be for someone who wants to live with their abuser, continue living with their abuser, um, and is not you know, planning to leave at that time, but there have been Um, you know occurrences of domestic violence in the home and they want that recognized under their order of protection and therefore if there was a new occurrence of domestic violence um, and the police were called they would be able to show their order of protection and have the abuser removed from the home or kind of whatever they would wish at that point so it adds a little bit more weight um, to their protection Um, well and then yeah go ahead
0: I was gonna say that um, these are things people probably don't really know about and also an order, what movies and stuff call a restraining order. Sure. And I was so shocked to hear that uh, in my training with you that, that it's not a restraining order.
2: Sure, no, it's, um, it's different. So the, yeah, it's just kind of the, what it's called in the state of Illinois is just order of protection. Um, in other states, it's called other things um, but it's okay. not necessarily a restraining order, and an order of protection is really specific to domestic violence. Um, and okay. in Illinois, as we know, there is um, a courthouse that specifically um, that that specifically investigates domestic violence cases and order of protection um, distribution um, downtown at 555 West Harrison. Um, and that's not the case, you know, in in other states and things like that. Not always that there's specifically a domestic violence courthouse, but in Chicago, probably due to you know the high population um, and all of that, there is a separate courthouse dedicated to that and issuing orders of protection.
0: Okay. Okay. So, what about the Violence Against Women's Act?
2: Yes, and also U um, visa. Um, are, so pro- are some programs that can offer different supports for um, survivors. So, um, I guess one of the other things that I wanted to mention is VESA, um, which is um, a program specifically for, for folks who, um, you know, if they're able to get a letter from a domestic violence agency. Um, can use VESA for VESA leave. Um, It's the Victims Economic Safety and Security Act um, to get granted unpaid leave, but still leave from their jobs um, for a certain amount of time um, in order to attend counseling services related to domestic violence, um, to go to court hearings, Um, et cetera in order to get some support Um, VAWA and visa U visa also kind of specifically speaks to women who may not be documented in this country they are um, working with police um, or being cooperative with police investigations around um, somebody where they were the witness um, that the individual seeking um, status, uh, was witness to um, domestic violence or other criminal acts, um, might be able to get um, temporary status, legal status, um, based on that experience.
0: So it's a bit of a safety while you are involved in these legal proceedings to kind of protect you. Yes. Uh, So how is VESA different from um, the Family Medical Leave Acts because it's specifically domestic violence?
2: Yes, so VESA is specific to domestic violence um, and, and sexual violence, right? So domestic violence, sexual violence, um, and um, it is giving victims um, I believe, up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave um, okay. per calendar year. Um, okay. It is not, from what we've seen with victims, it's not necessarily kind of broadcasted with different um, companies or things like that, that that um, survivors of domestic violence might be employed by Um So it's one of those things that's really important for advocates and counselors and therapists to know about so that they can let um, the survivors that they're working with know about that access.
0: And and that seems like a huge barrier that the people out there don't know that, you know, you can stay with your abuser, for instance, and still have some kind of protection with the specific order protections you were talking about. So it gives you these choices. um, but, But...
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's that's an important piece of advocacy. <clears throat>
0: um, so that kind of brings up the next topic of um, in discussions about domestic violence, people often express some confusion over why someone would stay with an abusive um, or in an abusive relationship or with an abuser. And those who work in the field um, learn that the answer to this question is much more complicated, it has so many layers to it. And uh, family court specifically really affects the influence of, of their decision to stay.
2: Sure. So I think that there's kind of this misnomer a little bit um, when folks are dealing with the family court system that um, that family court um, always upholds visitation and custody, et cetera, for mom. Um, right. So there's, you know, kind of this, this thought process that, you know, dads are kind of always the underdogs going into the process. And okay. I don't think that that's necessarily true. Um, and I think that specifically when domestic violence and the family court system, so, you know, a family court is, of uh, do I stick with the hell that's known, um, being in this relationship, but, having access to no children, um, knowing where they are, um, you know, safety and all of that. Knowing
0: that there to protect them.
2: Absolutely. As opposed to, you know, the worst case scenario when it comes to family court of, you know, a judge deciding dad is going to have sole custody of these children, Um you know, mom is going to have supervised visitation, like that's kind of worst case scenario. Right. And that, um, that is something that happens and it happens pretty regularly. And so, you know, I think that a lot of survivors are really thinking about, um, what do they want to put themselves through and what is in the best interest of their children. And that's really difficult. And it's really, it's so specific to each individual case. Um, and that's why it's really important for advocates and therapists and counselors who are assisting survivors to really pay close attention to what the survivor is telling you um, mm-hmm. because each scenario is going to be so different
0: right and, and I think that it being able to examine realistically okay what it, what is at risk you know for someone who maybe doesn't have the best finances, are they the fear that, am I gonna lose my kids because of that or being undocumented and it just goes on and on.
2: Sure, absolutely, yeah.
0: Um, So what information do you think it's important to share with survivors to prepare them about how their history of domestic violence may be received in court and how this kind of plays into, you know, all the various court proceedings um, in, in family court specifically?
2: Yeah, so a number of things, right? But I'll highlight a couple um, of things that I think are really important. So um, number one, I think that, um, you know, in recent years, Illinois switched to um, becoming a no-fault state for divorce, um, which which is common as one of the proceedings that we see in family court is for folks who have been married and have children together. So okay, um, and what,
0: what do you mean by no fault?
2: Yeah, so it means basically that in the past, where you could say, you know, here is the reason why I am seeking divorce, and one I believe was, um, whereas you know domestic violence could kind of be highlighted um from the get go in in the proceedings, mm-hmm. that's no longer the case, um, you know, and even when it was, I would say that the history of domestic violence um, did not matter as much to uh, the family court system. So, um, you know, that makes it um, really important to talk to your survivors about is kind of, this is a really important experience for you and the court is probably not going to care that much. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And to kind of just have a reality check with the survivor that you're working with. Um, so um, actually one of the resources that I was gonna mention is um, this website that I really like called the Battered Women's Justice Project um, and Stop Violence Against Women or stopvaw.org. Um, and they have kind of this really interesting diagram called Life on Three Planets, um, which talks about kind of on planet A, criminal court, um, battering is going to be the focus, right? So the history of domestic violence is going to be the focus as it relates to criminal charges. Um, in juvenile court, um, battering is viewed through like a child safety lens. So like, how can we keep the child safe? Um, and possibly this idea of a mother failing to protect her child, right? Or that's kind of their lens. Um, obviously domestic violence advocates would say that that's not necessarily true. And there are many ways that, mothers keep their children safe, even in a domestic violence um, relationship or a household where there's DV. Um, And the third is family court, right? So that's, um, battering is basically invisible. Um, And there's this idea of a good enough father, um, right? And kind of that the courts are aiming for 50-50 shared uh, parenting of the child, even though, there might be an extensive history of domestic violence, even a history of um, a father sexually abusing um, his children. So it, that's something to really prepare a survivor for, um, you know, and I, I I think that that process is obviously just long-term advocacy and counseling support. Um, and that kind of ties in with the other items that I was going to talk about, which is um, it would urge survivors to join a local support group um, to talk with other mothers who might be going through a very similar circumstance. Um, right. I think that that level of support and self care is incredibly important um, for for sustainability during these cases, um, as they can take years um, mm-hmm. from start to finish, and having additional support, having validation of their experience, and normalization that many other people are experiencing really similar things um, is, is sad and horrible, but also really helpful for someone um, who's a survivor um, to be able to feel like they're a part of a community that understands what they're going through. So yeah, those and- recommendations, yeah. Hard.
0: Um, one of the things of of support groups, you know, that I saw um, while at Sarah's Inn is that it's nice to see everyone at different levels of the journey, kind of, so someone who maybe is thinking about leaving, or someone who's gone through the whole family court process, someone who's in the middle of it, and you get all of these different experiences and stages, and it's really comforting to people to have that.
2: Sure, absolutely. Yeah, it can be just a really essential tool um, for survivors to feel connected um, to each other and empowered together. Right.
0: Um, so it, it seems like um, the difference between family court and domestic violence court is that the history of abuse um, and violence, neglect, etc. Is, is not weighted as heavily in family court.
2: Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I would say that there is a really um, big knowledge gap for mm-hmm. um, judges, attorneys, um, guardian ad litems, um, or child advocates, people who are appointed kind of as the attorney for the child and their interests, um, you know, there are some folks in the court system and family court system who are doing a really good job at this, but mm-hmm. there are many who are not. Um, and where <laughs> domestic violence, you know, particularly when folks are separating um, and they're mm-hmm. going through a divorce um, and custody, you know, it's seen as, well, you're separated from each other and therefore the domestic violence stops, right? And that, could not be further from the truth. Um, and in fact, many survivors that we've worked with over the years have said that um, kind of going through the family court experience is a second abuser to them. Um, right. And that, well, it,
0: what yeah. I was, you know, um, going to follow up with it sounds like going through the court is they're almost being re victimized, you know, like a second trauma again.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the things, if we're kind of thinking about at its core, domestic violence is about a pattern of coercive control. Um, It doesn't really have much to do um, sometimes for for the perpetrator of domestic violence with the actual custody, visitation, etc. But it's more a matter of winning or losing, right? So... Even if it's in the best interest of the children to be with mom, um, you know, more than 50 percent of the time or even all of the time, most of the perpetrators of domestic violence are not going to agree to that because it is a matter of them losing control. Right. So, um, you know, we see that in family court, specifically in cases related to domestic violence, those are the cases that go on for years and years, um, because perpetrators are really fighting this tooth and nail, um, and sometimes doing this intentionally. Um, if mom is using a private attorney, um, you know, et cetera, to really kind of bleed her financially as well, and that's another another piece of abuse, right?
0: So it's they're really holding on to any last control that they they have.
2: Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, most of the time at the detriment of their children.
0: Mm. It's just shocking because everyone, you know, I imagine it's, you know, like you said, mom is uh, favored in court and I, I no one would ever, um, you know, give a father with sexual abuse history custody. And when you're in the field and, and getting that experience, you get to witness it and see it but most people just walk around not aware that this is what happens
2: right yeah absolutely it's it's very misunderstood um you know and I think that's another reason why the support groups and things like that for survivors is so important um because you know yes I think that it's it's misunderstood um kind of in the general public but you know even even with people who are experiencing this and experiencing domestic violence it's easy to feel really alone and like this is the you know I'm the only person that this is happening to when in fact it's happening to a lot of
0: people right yeah you feel like like you're going crazy in a way
2: sure yeah
0: um So I remember from my time um, at Sarah's Inn, hearing some experiences and challenges of attempting to explain domestic violence in a family court, um, whether it's like an allegation of domestic violence or using it, you know, as you said, fighting with custody. So what are some of the experiences that you've had with this?
2: Sure. So I think that one of the one of the big challenges related to Um, sharing kind of history of domestic violence and allegations um, when, you know, regarding parenting um, has to do a lot with um, kind of this idea that I guess it's easy for judges and attorneys and guardian ad litems, et cetera, to see mothers who have experienced domestic violence as being overprotective of their children um, and, mm. and also kind of, um, I guess over-involved, right? So that's, um, yeah. that's kind of the misconception. And okay, I think as a result of that, um, you know, I've seen kind of some experiences that women have had where they've started to be seen in a negative light by the judges, um, by attorneys, by guardians, because, um, you know, it's kind of going hand in hand with this idea of like women are over emotional, right? Overly emotional, um, too involved, right? They're not wanting to share parenting rights with the father, et cetera, et cetera. And kind of some of these other stereotypes that are definitely not true, um, but it kind of harps on on some of that, right? In family court. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, in sharing about domestic violence, also, um, you know, Family court judges or attorneys might think, oh, you know, mom is trying to kind of slam dad on anything that she can find in order to get custody. Um, When in fact, most domestic violence survivors, that actually, you know, the vast majority that I have talked to over the years, do have an interest in dad being involved in their children's lives. They want their children to have a relationship with their father. But they yeah. want that relationship to be a safe one, right? Mm-hmm. So, you and know, I protect for ex- it exactly. Yeah, they want their children to be protected, um, and that means that you know one of one of the huge challenges right now is that it's really rare for a family court to um, kind of encourage or not encourage um, to to insist. Um, that a father have um, supervised visitation uh, with their Mm. children. Um, It's really not that common for that to happen. Or if it does happen, the goal is to get the father um, unsupervised visitation as quickly as possible, right? And I think, you know, at times... Mom is asking for supervised visitation because there's been an order of protection because the children have witnessed violence because the children have experienced direct violence, and the interest is in keeping them safe um, but you know family court um, involved folks the judges the you know the attorneys, etc, are not necessarily thinking about um is this in the best interest of the children involved and can we guarantee that this father is not going to um mm-hmm. you know say things that are violent to the children say things that are violent about mom to the children um etc etc um while unsupervised um and so that's, and that's the yeah.
0: important distinction, kind of
2: say say that again
0: that is a really important distinction. That sure. that asking, can we guarantee it?
2: Sure, sure, absolutely, um, and and really just like trusting that you know, as we do in the in the advocacy and counseling community for survivors, um, you know, there's this idea of like trust survivors, trust what they're saying to be true, mm-hmm. that their experience, they know what their experience is. Um, you know, and for someone who's meeting the family, like a family court judge or an attorney who, you know, probably hasn't even met the children, um, Mm -hmm. you know, for them to be making these really, really important decisions about a child's life, um, and kind of dismissing the viewpoint of the survivor themselves, um, -hmm. seems, seems very, um, seems very flippant and not very smart in that situation
0: right well and and a lot of the times you know y- you understand the courage that it takes for them to go through this process and sure. and all of the emotions that come up for it and then also having to see your kids come back re-traumatized every time they've been with dad or going through it, it not only you know these this re-victimization for domestic violence but it sounds like there's some gender bias too
2: sure absolutely Yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult for survivors.
0: Right. Right. Um, So you touched a bit on on people who who are providing counseling and advocacy services for survivors of domestic violence. Some things that you think is really important for them to know um, about how family court can impact their client, but also their child as well. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that?
2: Um, I think just like one of the resources that I know um, I've I've used over the years, and I think is really important, is really any publication by Lundy Bancroft. <laughs> um, right, I think is just a a really good um, succinct, um, you know, kind of look into what survivors can expect in family court at um, this yes. current. Kind of stage of where things are, um, especially in the state of Illinois. Um, you know, so Lundy has a number of books and also a website that's really helpful. Um, and you know, specifically a couple of books um, related to family court stuff. Um, so when Dad Hurts Mom is one of his books, um, as mm-hmm. well as The Batterer as Parent. And I think those are just really fantastic resources. And um, not only just just kind of resources that I've identified, but um, you know, many survivors that I've worked with in support groups and things have said that those books, you know, were just, um, incredibly crucial to their, um, process.
0: Yeah. It seems like people really, really relate to his writing style and, and the topics that he touches on.
2: Sure. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, well, Lily, I want to thank you so much for interviewing with us today. Um, before we close, is there any final message or information that you would like to share that we haven't had a chance to touch on?
2: Um, I, ugh, I don't know that I have anything additionally.
0: Um, well, good. That means that, that I asked the right questions. So. Yeah.
2: Anything else that <laughs> you want to hear about from me before, before we have to go? I don't
0: no, I, th- I think those are, are all of our questions. Um, for anyone who wants the, the resources that Lily has mentioned, um, they'll be on our, our website, which is in the link below. And also um, I'll attach those, those direct resources for them um, for, for anyone who, who wants to know more about it or to share with others. That sounds good. Okay, thank you so much, Lily. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Lily, again so much for sharing some helpful information about domestic violence in family court. For those of you who are interested in learning more, check out our recent blog post on the topic at acceptingtherapy.com. You can see resources in the blog as well as on the show notes of this podcast. Thank you.